Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. So he said, look, be on the lookout for this. Um, they actually couldn't really explain very well <laughs> what they were doing. Yeah, they had issued a, a short statement about, you know, you know, there wasn't any adverse health reactions. Cannabis in Missouri has gone from crime to industry, and 2023 was its biggest year yet. Voters first legalized cannabis for medical use in 2018, with its first sales in 2020. Two years later, Missourians voted to change the state's constitution and made recreational cannabis for adults legal. And the money has rolled in. Since February 2023, the state has registered nearly $1 billion in sales of recreational marijuana alone. Total sales are nearing $2 billion. But with these cannabis highs, there are also questions and complications. And here to talk about those and the state of Missouri's cannabis industry in 2024, we welcome Rebecca Rivas. Rebecca is a longtime St. Louis reporter and covers Missouri's cannabis industry for the Missouri Independent. Rebecca, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to start with one of the biggest marijuana stories that you reported last year state regulators ordering the recall of more than 60,000 marijuana products. Now, this took place in August. Rebecca, tell us about this recall. Yeah, well, it's the first big recall for our market. So I think, you know, that alone is going to be a little uncomfortable and shocking for people. I hear recalls in general, you know, in other states that have had recreational marijuana are a little bit normal. Um, but this one is actually pretty unique just in its uh, of itself within any state because it kind of brings into question a legal matter over hemp mm -hmm. um, because hemp is not a controlled substance federally. Mm -hmm. And marijuana still is. Right. So that's kind of the one of the big hearts of the um, or big focuses of the rec the recall. So I think that's kind of, you know, it's still out there mm -hmm. and it's yet to be really taken up. And I think it's going to be taken up this year, uh, most likely in the courts. Okay. Now, before we move on from recall, when I hear that word, I certainly think about, you know, food products. Yes. And that there is some sort of health danger mm -hmm. that is associated when a recall happens. But this is not necessarily the case, right? Right. And I think that's what a lot of people thought. I mean, people who were working in dispensaries, people who had just bought products off the shelves and were hearing that those products they bought were now being recalled, they wanted to know, you know, what's wrong with this stuff? You know, should I be worried? Should I throw it in the trash or try to return it? Um, and there wasn't a lot of information at the time because it was a pretty brief description of why they had recalled the products. They did the Department of Health and uh, uh, Senior Services, um, DHSS, pardon, let's just go mm -hmm. with that. <laughs> it's a little easier than a mouthful. Yeah. Um, in the Division of Cannabis Regulation within that department, you know, they had issued a, a short statement about you know, you know, there wasn't any adverse health reactions, but it didn't really explain much. Mm -hmm. So 
um, what happened was those products were recalled uh, the beginning of August. But shortly after that, the company that had um, been at the heart of the recall that produced the D, uh, the THC concentrate, they appealed that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within days, we knew a whole lot more about right. what was happening. So when the recall happened, we have the the people who are selling mm-hmm. and that, that's the, the vendors. That's one uh, one group. Yes. Then you have the customers and the patients, which you've mentioned. As far as an industry wide sort of reaction, though, was there one um, that is is worth noting? Yes. So. The group that um, is at the heart of the recall, it's a manufacturing facility. So essentially, it's like a factory, you know, um, because there's a lot of different companies throughout the country. They want their products sold within Missouri. So they, you know, make arrangements with these these manufacturing sites. And this one is Delta Extraction. So there was a lot of different, I mean, there was one definitely in Colorado that I spoke with um, uh, who, uh, you know, was impacted by the recall. Essentially what this group did was they made a THC concentrate Mm -hmm. and then they sold it to about 100 other manufacturers and they put it in their products. So you had, that's how you got 60,000 products recalled off the shelves because that that concentrate, you know, then goes into all their edibles, their pre-roll joints, those kinds of things Mm -hmm. for brands. I mean, numerous different brands and numerous different products. Right, and you had mentioned earlier hemp. And chemistry is a really big part of the the research that Mm -hmm. you did Right. Right. And the recall then was not about cannabis, but it was about hemp and and the chemistry of THC. Mm -hmm. What is it that you found when you started digging into details around that? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, like if there's an investigation with any agency as a reporter, it's often very difficult to get information immediately. But what happened was the company Delta Extraction appealed its license suspension and also the decision to recall the products with the um, Administrative Hearing Commission. And so within weeks, they were before the commissioner telling the commissioner exactly what they were doing. And also the state was explaining to the commissioner, you know, their reasoning behind the recall. They also had to submit numerous public documents Mm -hmm. to explain that decision. And one of the documents um, was from the state. It was an exhibit that um, talked about an email um, that the head of the Division of Cannabis Regulation received from the president of the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association, Andrew Mullins. Um, he had emailed Amy Moore, um, the head of the division, saying, you should look out <laughs> for this problem that we're seeing because, you know, once recreational marijuana came online, they couldn't just ramp up production of marijuana immediately. You know, it takes time to grow and all those mm-hmm. things. So there was immediately a low in supply. And when that happens, sometimes um, <clears throat> people look to other means to um, – you know, try to ramp up production. And he wanted, he was warning both her and also explained that he was warning his members um, that they should not, should not feel the need to do something called inversion, which is to get marijuana product from out of state and Mm -hmm. add it to their own products. 
Um, but they were. he was also explaining that this could look like hemp as well, hemp-derived THC or THC concentrate. And he explained to the members that, you know, this is against the rules that the um, that the division had released immediately after, I think it was about January, February, after the uh, Constitutional Amendment 3 passed, um, which says all marijuana products that are sold in Missouri have to come from within Missouri, mm-hmm. as you can't, you can't get anything from out of state and add it to your products. Okay. Yes. So he said, look, be on the lookout for this. Um, and then he emailed her again at the end of July. He said, I think you should take a look at metric, which is the tracking of all of the seeds to sale. So they, once, you know, you got a seed, mm-hmm. it becomes a plant, they track every single plant for its production to make sure that nothing's coming in from outside. And, he, and, and she essentially replied, like, you know, we don't really have a team in place yet to, like, go through thousands and thousands of these um, tracking numbers it would be helpful if you could give us information from a whistleblower. Okay. And then within a couple days, they said they had an anonymous tip. And so. that led to Delta extraction. So, I mean, the actual concern came from within the industry mm-hmm. that maybe somebody was getting a product f- with, um, they didn't, you know, hemp-derived Have, THC. That was coming, coming from, from out of state. Right, yeah, right. And adding it. And, you know, that impacts the association's members because, you know, if somebody's getting product from out of state for, uh, you know, lesser price and they're adding it to the products, they're not buying it from Missouri right. man, uh, cultivators. So in November, mm-hmm. Missouri revoked Delta's Delta Extraction's license to manufacture cannabis products. And Delta Extraction was not going to take this lying down and then tried to sue the state to stop that recall. Tell us about the the lawsuit. And I mean, what was Delta Extraction's defense? Yes. Right. (laughs) So essentially, you know, hemp is not a controlled substance. So the company is saying, you can't prevent us from... um, adding this as an ingredient to the products because it's federally legal. And this can be federally, this could be challenged in the courts. And they actually did attempt to do that immediately after, while they were appealing the decision for their license suspension and the product recall, they filed a lawsuit trying to get an injunction. But the judge said, you know, you got to finish up the appeal before the administrative hearing commission before you can do that. So that's still pending. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next couple months, I, I believe either at the end of February or maybe beginning of March, the Administrative Hearing Commission is going to hear this argument. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you know, it's going to decide whether or not it is legal to add hemp products or hemp-derived THC to marijuana products. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's their argument. They said, nope, there's there's grounds to say and there's there's legal precedent that they believe mm-hmm. that you cannot um, – you cannot prevent them from doing that. Right. And the, the lawsuit, too, then, is not just about this, this chemistry. Um, it's not just the recall. You reported last month that you know, it could lead to a showdown over the state's authority to regulate the industry. Mm-hmm. Why is that the case? Yeah, I mean, here's the, the issue with hemp. And I think um, when... 
this was first being discussed before the commission, um, the Administrative Hearing Commission. There were several hours of both the state and the company kind of presenting their case, and they actually couldn't really explain very well <laughs> what they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, they did explain that in the beginning, what they were doing was they were doing an isomeric conversion which is essentially what they were doing. And this is like the more common way to get at this like t hemp derived THC mm -hmm. is um, you take CBD and you convert it into Delta 9 THC. That's like the, that's the cannabinoid that most people know about is Delta 9. Mm -hmm. That's the one um, <clears throat> that's most discussed. Okay. Um, but CBD, you know, is most commonly found in in hemp, I mean, it has a lot of CBD. It's also in, you know, the cannabis plant is, is uh, involves both marijuana and hemp, but they are essentially defined really just by the amount of THC in them. That's okay. how the, the the federal government defines the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. um, so th there's probably, I mean, legally, you can only a hemp plant would have 0.3 percent THC, where a marijuana plant would have, you know, people would love to get like 30 percent THC. You know, that's the okay. that's the goal when they're cultivating. They want to get as much percentage, but it's about 15, you know, to 30 percent THC. So, so would something roughly analogous be um, like a kombucha has alcohol, but it's not counted as alcohol. Is it, is it sort of that kind of a, a situation? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and so, yes, you cannot, like, most people, that's why it's federally legal. Hemp does not have a lot of THC that can, you know, produce some kind of psychoactive effects. And that's mm -hmm. why it's, you know, at least that's why it was uh, included in the 2018 Farm Bill, Federal Farm Bill, that it would took it off the controlled substance list. But there's some chemistry that would allow you to transform right. one cannabinoid into another mm -hmm. that would essentially get you that Delta 9 THC that you find in marijuana. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Um, this, the, the way that this process is viewed um, sometimes among marijuana companies is not good. It is called essentially a synthetic form of THC. Mm. And so when I when it was discussed at the commission level, and I reported it, um, and I spoke with some of the companies that found out that this was included in the THC concentrate that was added to their products, they were actually pretty appalled. Right, they, right. I mean, because they want pure marijuana, mm -hmm. um, Delta 9 THC. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think people in the hemp industry are proud about the way that they use their process. But the thing about it is there's no regulation right. for hemp. So could the state actually lose its ability to regulate the industry? I mean, how likely is that? And I mean, what would things look like if that were the case? You know, they didn't specify. The attorneys for Delta Extraction didn't exactly specify what it was that they would go after outside of the, the ability to, to regulate hemp. But, you know, there's a lot of different concerns um, that have been raised that I've actually heard about through legislative sessions and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I think we're going to find out. <laughs> 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 but I think the ability to regulate um, adding hemp-derived THC to marijuana products is a pretty big one. Mm -hmm. And then what the, are the stakes for Missouri's cannabis industry? Well, if you um, if you can get a product that's a fourth of the cost 
um, as what you would produce here in Missouri, then that's going to be pretty damaging for Missouri marijuana cultivators. Mm -hmm. But it would also be great for hemp farmers here in Missouri. So um, I think that's still the discussion. Um, And I think definitely the hemp industry is watching very closely this case. We need to take a quick break, but we'll come back soon and we'll continue our conversation with Missouri Independent reporter Rebecca Rivas and her reporting on the state of Missouri's cannabis industry. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome back. Rebecca, before the break, we were discussing cannabis at an industry scale. But there's another set of licenses that you've been covering, and that's for cannabis micro-businesses. So the micro-business element involves a program that's attracted some controversy in the past. Give us some background on this, Rebecca. Who is the program intended to help? Right. You know, so the micro-business license program, it's it's, uh, hoping to... Um, put some licenses in the hands of disadvantaged business owners and in communities that were impacted by marijuana prohibition. That's the hope. Mm-hmm. And those specifically are, as far as the the, um, the impacted community members, right? In order to um, in order to be eligible, they had to to meet certain kinds of eligibility requirements, and uh, included in that would be coming from low income communities or maybe having a um, arrest or charge, a marijuana charge on your record. So, you know, people who have been somehow impacted by, oh, you know, there's also zip codes that have high incarceration rates um, based on marijuana offenses. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the hope is that it kind of rights some wrongs or rights, you know, people who who might have been impacted in the past mm-hmm. by a, a marijuana offense. Right. And this is because the, the industry is a big money business, right? Yes. Yeah. So what exactly then is a micro business and how is it different from other cannabis companies Missouri issues licenses to? Um, you know, it's just a little bit smaller. I would say probably a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can only have a certain amount of plants. Um, and I think uh, you can also only sell within... Uh, to each other. So there's a wholesale license and then there's a dispensary license. Mm -hmm. And the hope is just to help smaller businesses grow and then they can eventually become, uh, have a normal license. I think that's the hope is that it's just a a stepping stone for some businesses who might not be able to qualify for a regular license right away, but then could hopefully grow to that. Now, you have a new story, and it was just published today, um, and in that you report that nearly half of the applicants for those micro-business licenses, they were actually from out of state. Why is that significant? Well, I think what uh, we saw 
in the application process was um, there was a lot of outside interest. And I think particularly more on the dispensary license side, um, you've, you've gotten to see this in other states. There is a way that people that some companies are using things like Craigslist ads or other things to try to to reach out to people who would be eligible for these applicant for these licenses and then have them apply for them, um, and then there would be an ownership change at some point. Um, I think that was just one of the instances that we that I saw. Um, you know, I, 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 and it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, when the results first came out, you got to see just the person who is listed as the designated contact and their proposed location. And when I looked at the list, I was like, oh, great, you know, maybe I'll just reach out and see if I could talk to somebody who who got a license or maybe somebody who didn't. But I was noticing that there was multiple names and multiple pro- proposed um, locations. And um, when I kind of started to ask about that, um, I asked a, a man from who worked on Amendment Two and Amendment Three, John Payne. He's with mm, Amendment Two. Yes, yeah. yes, he's you know very well respected in the industry, and he says no, you know it's okay. Um, some the state allowed us to say you know if you have a group and they all want to start a business together, they can apply separately. So mm. you might see the same designated contact or the you know the same proposed location on numerous um, applications. Okay. But then I didn't recognize some of the names and some of the groups, so I started to research them, and they were from out of state. One of them was from a group in Phoenix, and then one of them was out of Michigan. And when I started to look into that, then I noticed that they had been in news articles in other states um, for this group out of Michigan, Canazoned. Um, they had been advertising on Craigslist, and they also were giving people an agreement that essentially said that they would give them $1,000 to apply, but then they pretty much had to immediately sell the company to them Mm -hmm. afterwards. And this was kind of in fine print. It wasn't very well explained to people. So um, I was able to find somebody who had signed this uh, in the Illinois uh, social equity cannabis license process. Um, And Somehow, magically, he also had also been part of the Missouri. Um, he he was first contacted by them in Illinois, mm-hmm. but then since Missouri's application came right after, he also was eligible to apply for Missouri's, and he ended up providing me with the agreement that he was given. Yeah, and that's how we were. That's how I was able to find out about the um, agreements that were most likely given to all of the people that they were. Um, that were included in their application process. Okay. And this was active solicitation. Yes. So, I mean, in October, Missouri issued 48 micro-business licenses, six winners in each of the state's eight congressional districts. And then on December 15th, state regulators said it might revoke 11 licenses after they found that license holders didn't meet eligibility requirements. So what is now happening here? And why were those licenses being revoked? Well, at this phase, we don't know much. And they're not able to say much because those um, those groups were given notices of pending revocation. And they have 30 days to provide more documentation to say, hey, you know, no, we really are eligible. They'll make their final, dis- the department will make their final decision on probably around middle of January. So um, 
and I'm not sure how much they're going to tell us after that about each specific licensee of why they they were revoked if they in, indeed do get revoked. But I think that you know just looking at some of the reasons that they gave, it was you know that there wasn't uh, they weren't able to prove that the person on the application wasn't going to, indeed going to have um, ownership interest mm-hmm. in the business, and so. I think that maybe, and she did explain, um, she didn't speak directly to the agreement from Canazoned, but she did say that in the future, if anybody does see an agreement like this that says, you know, pretty much right after you get the uh, license and you get permits from the municipal governments where the dispensary will be, that is not going to pass muster, Mm -hmm. you know, so you should be wary of that. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think that that was one of the reasons, and I know that um, St. Louis Senator Carla May did have discussions with the division about her concerns about this, um, and so I think, you know, those things were taken into consideration, but, you know, they, they said that this was their due diligence. They were going to find this in their final review of all of the documents they provided, so they feel like, you know, while yes, 11 were not going to be deemed eligible, this is the process working, they they were going to uncover it because they were going to make sure that all of these kinds of operating agreements were uncovered and mm-hmm. shown. Yeah. So Missouri's Division of Cannabis Regulation released its annual report on Wednesday, and the report addressed the issue very specifically with these micro-business licenses. What was your takeaway overall from the report? I think they had to kind of talk a little bit about this, you know, about, you know, why so many of them were deemed ineligible um, after their final review. Um, But I think they also tried to kind of outline a little bit about what were some of the criteria people used. Um, I think that it's interesting, you know, one of the biggest reasons was the low income um, reason. And and I, th- I in my conversation with Abigail Vivas, she was a little surprised about that because it's a lot of documentation to provide. Um, but, you know, I think one of the the reasons that people were expecting was, you know, some kind of arrest on their record or maybe even... Um, you know, an actual charge on their record. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still looking into that. But overall, I think, um, y- you know, I think that it just kind of shows there's some things to look out for. And Abigail Vivas mentioned she's going to devote some more education on looking at predatory lending and predatory um, pra- uh, business agreements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully there will be an opportunity to to have maybe some grants for these businesses so they don't have to enter into these kind of predatory agreements right because obtaining capital is hard and so um, that's something that they're hoping to provide so mm-hmm. that they don't have to look into these kinds of other areas yeah Rebecca I want to make sure that we touch at least touch upon the intersection of cannabis legalization and social justice especially for black Missourians and you know, you've been covering cannabis for or the industry for the Missouri Independent for the last year. Um, but before that, you, you covered criminal justice and civil rights for over a decade. This issue of social justice and uh, the program for micro businesses being an avenue to that was a big part of the 2022 campaign to legalize recreational marijuana in the state. 
Before that vote, we talked with Adrienne Scales Williams. She's the owner of Luxury Leaf, the first black owned medical marijuana dispensary in Missouri. And Adrienne told us she wanted to see more black entrepreneurs break into the cannabis industry. We are all concerned about the lack of diversity um, in this particular space. And I'm hoping that at some point in time, there is a lot more people that look just like me that have their own dispensaries or either, you know, are cultivating or manufacturing. So uh, I don't want to stand in this space by myself. That was Adrian Scales Williams, owner of Luxury Leaf, who spoke to former St. Louis on the Air host Sarah Fenske in 2022. So Rebecca, Adrian talked about wanting to see more people who look like herself, more black folks working in the cannabis industry. Has Missouri made progress on this count? I'm not sure we know the answer to that question. However, I did ask Abigail Vivas in the fall if there was some kind of opportunity to do a survey of the ownership, but also the workers and the diversity in the cannabis industry. And she said she was going to look into that. I did speak to her this week as well. And she said, yes, that's still on her to-do list. So, you know, I think that could offer an insight. But other than that, it's really hard to tell, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, I don't think that there has been, on the ownership level, I don't think that there has been much um, progress on that front, but maybe more so on the diversity in the dispensaries. I think that was something that a survey would be really helpful for. Mm -hmm. And in talking with people sort of on the ground, why is that sort of thing important to them? Well, I think, you know, just from the social equity standpoint, um, this has, this, you know, marijuana prohibition has impacted people's lives for for generations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people who had gotten a charge on their record as a in their teens, you know, actually, that was somebody that I spoke to for the micro business uh, license, some of the person that ended up signing that agreement, you know, he'd been a cannabis um, activist his whole life, because he had gotten a charge on his record as a young man and had a lot of opportunities that he couldn't actually fulfill later in his life. And I think, I think that's just what people, those people are the, are hopefully the ones that should have some kind of opportunity. At least those were the people who were proponents of Amendment 3 and particularly because of this program and also the expungements program, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that was included in Amendment 3. You know, they're just trying to, you know, look at what harm has been done to some people and communities and how can you rectify that. Mm-hmm. So as we look ahead you know, Missouri's legislative session opened yesterday. What is on your radar for potential laws that could impact the cannabis industry this um, in Missouri, just briefly? Yeah, and, you know, I think some of these um, laws for looking at hemp-derived THC is on there. Um, and and I just want to note that, you know, in the end, that it, the isomeric conversion process was not what Delta Extraction was using. It was actually using a regular extraction, just using many, many pounds of hemp and extracting THCA from there. So I just wanted to clarify that point. But um, I think that's going to be a big part of the legislative session is is looking at, you know, whether legislators feel that they're going to be able to regulate products that currently can be sold anywhere, Mm -hmm. gas stations, you know, grocery stores. Um, I know that there's farmer's markets that have people with stands. 
they can't actually control this product right now legally on the state level or the federal level just from people selling it. So that's what they're hoping to look for, a way to regulate that. Rebecca Rivas covers Missouri's cannabis industry for the Missouri Independent. You can also find her latest reporting on cannabis on our website at stlonair.show. Thank you for coming today, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.